welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And welcome to the after show for Step Dave, featuring my interview with Emily Cutler, who wrote the pilot based on a New Zealand show written by Kate McDermott. Emily is such a veteran. She's got a resume of at least 15 shows, including Community, The Michael J. Fox Show, Suburgatory, AP Bio, Fresh Off the Boat, The Odd Couple, which we have some fun conversation about. Uh, We talk about her adapting this show from a New Zealand format. And I should say for those of you not steeped in the TV business that when we say format, we mean a show. It's just one of those annoying corporate words that writers got suckered into using. A format is a show, usually from another country. You know, it, uh, it reminds me of the first meeting I was in when someone said IP. You know, they were talking about, a, you know, we'll get some IP. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I had to Google it when I got out of the meeting and then I saw it meant intellectual property and I still didn't really get it. And I was like, oh, they meant a book. They were talking about a, a book. Anyway, uh, Emily and I also talk about her, her real-life May-December relationship with her husband and how that informed the show. Uh, from someone who's been on a lot of writing staffs, you'll hear her thoughts about what it takes to really be a good writer on staff. You know, Emily is someone that I've known for a long time, uh, long enough I couldn't quite remember when we first met, and it was really great to catch up with her. And she explained to me the title of the show, which I was dumb enough not to really understand. Anyway, this was a really fun conversation. Here it is, my interview with Emily Cutler after a brief message. Manolo, guess what? Manolo, guess what? What, what, what? Dr. Game Show has made it to 100 episodes on Maximum Fun. Oh, that's true. I knew that. Well, to celebrate, we are releasing our entire Earwolf archives to Max Fun members. That's anyone who gives $5 or more monthly to support podcasts like Dr. Game Show. That's 63 episodes with in-studio comedian guests like Jason Manzoukas, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, Joe Para, Todd Berry and Janine Garofalo, Connor O'Malley, Chris Guthrie, and more. Plus three bonus episodes that include two pilot episodes. Wow, two pilots must be good. Find the feed at MaximumFun.org slash BOCO, B-O-C-O. Stands for bonus content. Mm-hmm. Let's just start, Emily. Let's do it. Um, yeah, so uh, we were just talking about that interview, but that's not where I first would have first met you was interviewing you for that show right i must have met you way no we met through friends way back in the day you know just when you're kind of on the party circuit going around and hey this is my friend andrew hey this is my yeah so we met a long time ago through like northwestern folks did you go to north no but i have a lot of friends who went to northwestern so that could have been it and then just through random people writerly people we just kind of yeah we've been at this for a while yes Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, we've yes. Been doing this for a long time. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and this might be the end. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, we're all feeling that. Um, yeah. Gosh, there's. Well, let's let's actually start because uh, I have all these questions about Step Dave. Because okay. when we were doing that um, quick little interview before we did the read, I didn't realize that this was based on a format because the script yeah. that. I think the script you sent didn't, I think I made you a title page. I think the script you sent had like a title page that had like DJ Nash's name on it or something. So so there was never, so so there was not like a title page that said based on whatever. So that's, so tell me. I don't know that there ever was a title page. I don't even ever remember there being a title page, but this was brought to me by Hazy Mills, which is Sean Hayes' company with Todd Milliner. And it was, um, a format that a guy there named Cameron Tarlow had found from New Zealand about a relationship between an older woman and a younger man. And the reason I think they thought of me for it is that my husband is 10 years younger than I am. So they thought maybe it was in my wheelhouse to explore this particular subject, um, which it was. So um, 
I watched the New Zealand show. You know, it's hard when a show, when it's based on a format from another country, especially something like New Zealand or Australia or England, because the sensibility is a little bit different and you have to adapt it to America. And a lot, sometimes the comedy comes out of where it's from and works better in its home country than it might here. So you have to kind of, have you adapted something that's from another country? I, I have, I adapted a British show once, but it really was, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. I think um, we took, this was when I was working with my old partner, Ted. I think we took one speech and one half of like an opening mm-hmm. scene and then we just wrote the whole thing there was just some there was like a great opening and like one really good line and the kind yes. of good setup but we're like everything specific in the pilot was very british and would never have worked and we yes and i always worried that. with the office when they were bringing the office over here my first thought was well how are they going to do this how are they going to take that sensible and they made it their own and I, you yeah. know got really lucky it was really great but um this wasn't I just sort of told it from my my perspective in current times and you know didn't worry too much about that but that always makes me nervous because a lot of things don't seem to translate the comedy end of it coming over because we're all so different you know yeah. worldwide comedy gets different was, was there anything was there like the way they meet was were there scenes yes like, there were how- there were there were a lot of similarities the way they meet um I can't remember if he was a bartender in the first one I think think he was and then I took sort of the essence of the characters and just made them my own so it was a similar setup it was always going to be about a a young guy getting involved with this woman who you know is older and has a family and has a a history and a lot of baggage so that remained and then I just played with it and kept stuff if I thought it worked and just tried to make it my own and Make and was happen. there stuff from your relationship? So how did they, how did you and your husband, who's so much younger, how did you guys meet? So much younger. We were <laughs> at a barbecue at a duplex and half the duplex was owned by his friends and half the duplex was owned by my friends. And we hit it off in that way that happens very rarely where you feel like you've known someone forever. And, and only later did I find out he had an older brother. And I said to my friend, you know, how old is he? And she said, oh, I think he's about your age, but she was referring to the older brother. My husband was much, much younger than I was. And he, I didn't know this at the time, he called and asked me out on a date and we went out to, do you remember the bar? I think it was called Tiki Tea. Do you remember that? Yeah, all over? like in Los Feliz. On, yes, on we went out to to this bar and we were talking and all of a sudden I realized some of the references I was making were not quite landing and that he and finally I was just like, how old are you? And he was 10 years older. And I figured, look, it can be a hookup. Well, as the kids say. We'll go out, we'll, this will be fun, but this is not going to be a thing for all the same reasons as the character of Annie and Step Dave. Like, I've got stuff going on, I've got baggage, you're not ready. In my case, what if I wanted kids? You know, it just wasn't going to be a thing. And then he said to me, well, my dad is 10 years younger than my mom. So if this age difference thing is a problem for you, it's a problem for you. It's not a problem for me at all. But I still was kind of uneasy about it. And then he just stuck to me like a boy. He wouldn't, it just fit. It just fit. So here we are. We've been married almost 20 years, two kids. And he's really an old curmudgeon and I'm immature. So maybe that's for some (laughs) reason why it works. You meet in the middle. Yes. Um, did you ever, I mean, that's, I love that sort of duplex scene of just these two parties going on where you had did you ever think of using that in this um (laughs) no not really I didn't I guess I could have maybe it will be my next pilot this is the second (laughs) pilot I've written about an older woman younger man when I first started dating my husband I did a pilot for was it like UPN I think that was about the same relationship and it was kind of after like you know the Demi Ashton thing had happened so people it was not that big a deal but people seemed to really be very interested in the subject matter and all my friends were horrified and you know were saying things like he's never going to marry you and why are you involved with this young guy and why are you wasting your time what if you want kids you know all of that stuff um 
everybody was very interested in our relationship in the the scandal and taboo of it as they are i suppose in state step dave as well they were yeah it's i mean it's just a very universal you know it's very clear when you when you pitch the log line and it's sort of you know it's been done but not so many times that yeah. it's just like the most cliche thing in the world and there's yeah especially like it is actually your story um yeah keep trying keep keep taking cracks <laughs> at it why I'm is only this, getting older he's getting older it, too now though why is it called step dave like, was that the new zealand show that was their title? title step dave i guess the idea was he'd eventually be their stepdad but right now he's step dave and they thought it was cute and they apparently had you know they're like we like the name recognition because it was a big hit what was it a big hit i'm saying that and it may not be true i know it ran more than one season which which nowadays is a big hit right. um but uh yeah it was very popular but i can't remember if it was popular like with a wide audience or if it was just a kind of a small you know cult following i don't know i know if i'm hazy mills or whoever and i'm pitching this thing based on a new zealand show i'm gonna say it's a huge it was a huge hit in new zealand because who's mm -hmm. gonna know who's gonna check yes. like it's yes. new zealand <laughs> like yeah i mean <laughs> you definitely say it was a huge it was a hit and you gotta what, but what i like what i liked about it was it was a romantic comedy sort of old-fashioned like there was a real sort of sweetness to it and you know sweet i don't know if it's still out but it goes out a lot where people <laughs> want edgy and cool and hip and for everyone to kind of not care about things but this was just there was a sweetness to it that i really liked yeah and that i mean it's definitely present in your version i mean those scenes with the two of them and just you know there's just as they're sort of meeting and falling for each other in the urgent care, the emergency room, the urgent care, whatever, you know, just their banter and just them talking is just really sweet and fun and just seeing. I, I feel like don't you feel a little bit like you know when you meet someone. I mean, anyone can have fun on a Hawaiian vacation, but for me, it is those small moments of sitting in a doctor's office or wandering through a grocery store where if you really vibe with someone, that's where you're going to be able to tell is you're kind of having fun no matter where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. So that's kind of what that scene was about, that even sitting in a urgent care, if you've got a connection, that's you're going to feel it. You yeah. Know? And those scenes are just, you know, we all love them. We all like people like romantic comedy. You know, yeah. I think it's always a tricky thing in series television. Yes. To, it gets to some, yeah. It gets tricky because you can't have, once people are happy together, then, you know, that gets hard to, you know, keep yes. conflict and keep it exciting. But how much can you drag out the courtship? Yes. Um, I mean, you had a lot of built-in obstacles in the relationship, obviously, you know, the the kids and and all of that. Mother-in-law, you know. ex-husband, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just just what it's you know, it's interesting to watch what would have happened in series, watch him navigating, you know, being sort of a child himself in a lot of ways, a man child, navigating children and teens and those kind of problems and just all this adult stuff. Like in my husband's case you know, he wasn't ready for any of the things that I was ready for. He wasn't thinking about, you know, mortgages and pay our taxes. And <laughs> he was young and wanted to, you know, drink weird drinks and have keg parties and things like that. So it all, you know, it's it's ripe for comedy, that kind of, you know, odd couple sort of vibe. Yeah. Were you, I assume you, did you pitch this? Um, I did. And when you, in that pitch, were you able to sort of bring in a bunch of specific things oh, from yes. your relationship? Yes. Yeah. I started out by saying, here's what happened to me and started telling all kinds of funny stories about my life. So they would kind of understand how I related to this particular story. Um, and uh, the pitch was really fun because I feel like when you do a pitch where you really are connected to the subject matter, it just feels very natural. It doesn't feel very forced. So... It was a fun pitch. And I went in and said, you know, if I sell it, if I don't sell it, I just am having a good time pitching, which is rare. So um, so I was, yeah, I was happy. And NBC was just just happy to do it immediately. It was like, we want this. And 
I was shocked because that doesn't always happen. No, it so. does not. And then how was it once you got into the development process? Everyone was really nice and, you know, gave notes, but were sort of hands off in ways that I didn't expect. And you never know when they're hands off, does it mean they're hands off because they're like, wow, you're the best. You're doing a great job. Or they're hands off because they're like, we don't care about this project. We, we so, know this one's never going. So right. either way, I was like, great, it's, it's fine. Um, they were very nice. They got it. They got what I was trying to do. And um, it was not I was not noted to death. Um, I don't know that they really knew what to do with it because it is that kind of sweet romantic comedy and network TV doesn't generally do that. Um, so it just sort of, it died on the vine, but they were happy with it and I cashed the check. Right. Yeah. Look, <laughs> it's, as I've said before, you know, chances are you're, you're getting a bolt through your skull at the end of this process. So it's just, were you able to just be out in a nice pasture eating grass or were yes. you like stuck in a like confined? I was fine. Eating? And I think I was on a show at the time. So that can make it even worse. So I was lucky because it was a nice experience and I wasn't panicking and staying up till two in the morning and that kind of stuff. So, and, and how, what was Sean and Todd's role during that process? Um, you know what they gave notes but they were pretty cool about it they were sort of like you know what you're doing and we really like this you know maybe make this land a little more and why would she you know a couple of questions and which i always think is nice i mean if you have a producer has a really strong opinion happy to hear it but you're getting so many notes from studio from network and all of that it's nice to just have them unless they have something they desperately need to go in or some huge problem that they just sort of let it pass through so it was a relatively pleasant pilot process and i assume at the end it was the usual thing of just like it's not going forward but we love this we think about that and you're great we want to do we something with you again and... yeah yes yes <laughs> yeah okay That's, it's not uh... you it's us yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you never get a reason had you thought i mean i know um when we decided to do this you were very quickly like Lin lindsey sloan should read the lead is that who you had i forget how many years ago was it this? was gosh it must have been like uh, it was 2017 so yeah like five-ish six years ago um I, I i know why i thought of lindsey sloan because i was working on odd couple at the time and lindsey sloan was in odd couple and i remember just sort of liking her and liking her vibe and um she could very easily be this person so i called her and she was happy to do it she's lovely um and you know yeah. her, I think, right? Didn't she? Yeah, we talked to, you know, uh, we worked together on, it was my second show. It was her, uh, like, maybe her first show, but she was 16 years old. Oh, my we gosh. we worked together. So she was the same age as who was it? It was uh, Libby, maybe, who was Libby Rose, who was reading, like, one of the daughter roles wow. in this. So that could, that's how old Lindsay was. Yes. When we first she's been doing this a together. long, long time. Working this a long time. Yes. Yeah. And she said she had, like, just gotten her license when she was doing that show, the Aww. show Mr. Rhodes. And she was fantastic on that show i mean even at that age she was great and so you know i hadn't seen her in a bit but i was really excited when you brought her up because she's perfect for this like yeah she's, she's great. a great romantic comedy lead she's just so... i also thought the young guy what was his name the one playing the, the luke. younger yeah luke he was Moose. lovely absolutely he, yeah. lovely i really he, felt like there was some chemistry there and he was just adorable I know he was great. He's someone who um, that was uh, our associate producer, Noah Findling. We can thank Noah for for bringing Luke in, who I didn't really know before, but I thought he was, thought he was great, too. Really yeah, terrific. it's just they're great roles. You know, it's just um, and, you know, you get that chemistry. It's it's really nice. Did they had they asked you for the usual like a bunch of ideas for the future episodes had did you have to go through that yes i mean that's what's nice about adapting is you can kind of like steal some of their ideas oh, sure if, yeah if they can work <laughs> so it was just going to kind of be you know not rushing through the awkwardness and the conflicts that come up because of the relationship and you know maybe the ex-husband comes back maybe there's an ex-girlfriend he has maybe there's a pregnancy scare which is not hilarious but could be 
and um, just following how the kids have it out for him and try and make his life hell and, and the chaos basically of these two people being together with always the kind of undercurrent of they belong together. They just sort of fit. So. And were there, did you watch all of the episodes of the New Zealand show? Did I? I don't think I did. <laughs> I think I watched most of the first season. I think I skipped around to, to, to different episodes to see kind of what I just wanted to focus just on sort of this pilot and I could see you know you always want your pilot to have legs like sometimes you'll write a pilot and go this is great I've, <laughs> I've wrapped everything up and there's really nowhere <laughs> right. to go right. but I, I did see where this could go with the family and all the conflicts I mean it's a family show but yeah. it's also a romance so right. yeah. there are lots of possibilities NBC yeah, well, they, as we know, they don't always make the best decisions. <laughs> so, all right, now let's back up because I don't know a lot of this stuff. So where are you from originally? Originally, I grew up in New York City until I was six. And then my parents moved me to the West Coast to a small town called La Jolla in San Diego, where okay. I went to high school and did all that. So I was kind of a fish out of water being a New York Jewess. <laughs> suddenly brought into a small town of long-legged blonde surfer people. Sure. Yeah, La Jolla is about as blonde and surfery it as is. it gets. It is. Okay. And then what, what was the path into show business? The path was I moved to New York after college, and I was an actor and doing a lot of acting and doing a little bit of stand-up and um wound up getting an agent in la so i came out to la for acting and then in my downtime i've always done both my downtime i was writing and i had a lot of downtime <laughs> um, and i wrote a feature i was doing a stage show um called the dysfunctional show with a lot of people in it and jason alexander was in it it was an improv show kind of a takeoff of like a phil donahue sort of show but it was live and jason alexander was in it and I don't know why I thought this, but I said, I'm going to write a movie for him. So I wrote this <laughs> movie and he read it and he's like, this is fantastic. I love this. He said, but it's too close to my character of George. I don't want to do this character again, but I wound up getting an agent from that at UTA and then um, started writing. And I realized when you write, you don't have to lose 35 pounds and you don't have to like you know, show more of your boobs and mm -hmm. auditions and things. So that that was where I started focusing. But it helps to have that acting background when you write, because if I wouldn't say it, then I'm not going to ask another actor to say it. And for the cadence of jokes and things like that. Yeah, no, I find it's definitely yeah, whether it's improv or, mm -hmm. you know, it's it definitely helps if you have said words on a stage at, yes. <laughs> at some point. Yes. You know, that that definitely helps a lot. So okay wow that's uh that's really cool so yeah so jason was already i mean seinfeld had yeah it was like a, he was a huge star at, already yeah. at that point we got a lot of really cool guest stars because the show was it was a live show each weekend so actors could just it was improv you didn't have to do anything actors could just stop by and do it one week and not the next week so we had like jason alexander bob odenkirk um just a ton of people like that, you know, who were in the comedy world, who were just coming by to play a random character on a talk show. So it was, it was super fun and it was great exposure. I actually, I actually got my, now that I'm thinking of it, one of my first jobs was from that show, Brandon Tartikoff, um, producer, uh, no longer with us, but he was a very big producer at the time, came in to see the show and said, have you ever written anything? Do you want to come and um, help us develop this pilot? So we developed a pilot. It was actually really funny called 20, 21 minutes, which is about a Tom Brokaw type of anchorman who be, is an alcoholic and just falls apart on the air and can't work. No one will hire him. So he goes and gets a job at a, in a really small town being the newscaster there. And it's the story of him in this small town. Um, and all like the crazy weather woman who cries when she's doing the weather report, all the different people on the, the broadcast who are kind of insane, you know, small town in a small town. So that was like my first TV job. It was very strange. And so cool to have that connection. To yeah, it was really fun. One of the great legends of television. I mean, he, yes. Brandon Tartikoff, whatever people may not know at this point, but ran NBC at just an incredible moment yeah. and mentored Warren Littlefield and 
but yeah, he's, he came to speak when I was in college, but he came to speak and it maybe like my freshman or sophomore year it was a huge impression on me. Like hearing him speak just was maybe the first thing that was sort of like, oh, maybe like working in TV could be something. You know, and that never occurred to me. I didn't even really, I don't know why I was so out of the loop. I didn't even really think about, hey, you could be a TV writer in Hollywood. I was like, <laughs> it seemed like just sort of a fantasy thing that someone I didn't know did. And it never occurred to me to think, oh, I could go out and do that ever. But you so, just wrote that that movie that for for Jason, was that like the first script that you had finished? Yeah, that was kind I, of a, my first uh, sort of feature. And it's when you're just filled with creativity and don't know what you're doing and you can feel it, but there's something authentic about it. And it was just super fun to write. And you're not, you know, crying over writing 120 pages because you're young and happy and it's fun <laughs> and you're hopeful. Um, <laughs> As opposed to now, when you're down, cynical but... and beaten down. Presenting the We've got shirts for your torso, hats for your head, drinkware for your finest beverages, and so much more. Starring your favorite Max Fun shows with new and classic designs. Find the perfect gift for the podcast fan in your life. Heck, that could be you. We're not judging. Head to MaxFunStore.com now. That's maxfunstore.com. And then how, so after, and then you do that pilot with Brandon, and then how soon after that do you get the first staff job? What was my first staff job, I say? Was it Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane? No, it was (laughs) Rude Awakening. Oh, that was before. Okay, I didn't know which was. Rude Awakening was on Showtime, and it was a show. And that was Claudia, right? Way before its time, Claudia Lano, Lano. was lovely, and that was her first sort of thing, and she was running it, and it was um, really kind of meant to be a streaming show before there was streaming, because it was dealing with so many issues of, you know, addiction and alcoholism and, you know, girls that sleep around, and it was really edgy and strange, and that had... Lynn Redgrave in it Hmm. and Tim Curry in it, like these sort of comedic geniuses. And, and there I was, and I just, it was my first job and they were so nice to me. And it was so interesting because it was all run by women, which at that time just didn't happen. It was Claudia and um, kind of running the show. The person with experience was Pam Eels, who's gone on to do a couple of things and Andrea Abbott. It was these sort of three powerhouse women so it felt great. It was very normal and natural. And then after that, you know, I went for 10 years being, you know, the only woman in a, in a room. So it was nice to have that feeling of just women are running things and making decisions. And I looked up to them and I learned a ton. And it was a blast because it was edgy and because it was on Showtime, you could do really weird jokes and be dirty and it was a lot of freedom it was great and sometimes you'd write a draft and they'd go we love it and change a couple of let's change these three jokes and then it would go on the air as you wrote it which never happens so it was delightful what a cool first job i know i've worked with claudia lana and i know her well but i never i've never seen that show they should someone should put it's super fun it was starring sherilyn fenn was the lead and jonathan penner and lots of funny guest stars popped in and out, but having Lynn Redgrave do comedy is is a glorious thing. And she was playing a boozy, crazy, super wealthy woman. It was just really fun to write. And then was it really like for just 10 years, you were the only woman on every, because you were on a lot of staff. Almost. That's got, really. Almost, wow. it, unless, until I worked for Claudia again on a show she created called Good Girls Don't, which was on, was it on We? What was the other women's network? Not Lifetime, uh, Own? It was on some network that is no longer, but it was, um, she ran that show and it was a very female heavy room. So um, men would come in like Jonathan Goldstein, who's a big movie writer now. I don't know if you know him. He came yeah, in, he was the only man in the room. And I would, you know, we were all sort of delighting and now you know how it feels. Enjoy <laughs> being the other. Um, but yes, I was I was the only woman or one of very few on many, many staffs. Yes. Okay, so those shows, um, I mean, I'm looking at this at this list so yeah it's so, so long you just have to scroll, love ink, scroll blue collar tv <laughs> carpoolers and then, all right so then i love hearing stories about community 
Okay. Uh, you were on community. How long were you on community? I was on for the first two seasons. Okay. You have any community stories you want to share? So many. <laughs> it was absolute mad. It was the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> um, it was an absolutely amazing group of people. And Dan Harmon was very, very brilliant, which is the only way you can be if you want people to put up with, with your um, late, late hours and crazy way of working. Um, but it was wonderful. That's one of those shows where you're getting to do something so great and the trade-off is all the rest of your life. You don't right. get to have the rest of your life. I had two children under the age of two at the time. I used to oh, sleep Jesus. there, you know, a couple of nights you brought your toothbrush and, you know, I'd be coming in as my kid was going out to preschool. So there were a lot of sacrifices made, but I learned a tremendous amount and worked with amazing, amazing writers. I got to be silly, which is something you don't always get to do. And you know do some kind of lots of spoofy stuff that was fun i won't say spoof because that sounds a little bit um a lot no, we of, know you you know people have seen the show yes. they know, they know um, what you mean and uh the cast was wonderful you know you once in a lifetime as you know because you've been on some shows like that get a cast where it's just all it all works you know there were maybe one difficult uh difficult cast member a little more <laughs> difficult than the others um, but, uh, it was great. I mean, it was great creatively. I couldn't have sustained it. I'm not sure how people did sustain it. That's one of those jobs where you really kind of need to be in your twenties and like, Hey, I'm staying up all night anyway, and let's throw back some scotch and do some writing. Whereas I'm like, I want to go home and get in my bed. Yeah. You had little kids. I mean, I like in retrospect, cause you know, whatever, when I was working on friends and I was doing those hours and staying there till five in the morning, whatever, I didn't have I didn't have kids or, you know, no, and you're like, hey, we're that. super cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then when I think back to the people on that staff who did have kids and. And I looking back so and bad. now, you know what so it means. terrible for them. Yeah. Oh, it's just. I was the only, um, there was that. only one other person with kids on the staff. That was Andy Bobro, a lovely man, a lovely okay. writer. He was my work husband. And, uh, you know, he stayed, I think, a longer, a few more seasons, maybe, but I don't know. How you do it, and also as a mother, not that dads don't do as much as mutt, but I really missed out on a certain period of time, and I used to kind of bribe them with M and M's, say I'm home and you missed me, and I'm your mother, and I haven't been around, but here have candy. So, yeah. no, <laughs> Andy has done this podcast too, and we talked about you know about the, the his time on community in the same kind of sacrifices but i think for him it was like he'd have this other career and he was so excited to yes you know. um but yeah oh. speaking of this I, I need to ask about the odd couple because i'm almost through listening to matthew perry's uh audiobook of wow you know, new memoir i don't know if you've read it or are going to but he does i will say i don't know if this brings you any comfort he does apologize in the book to everyone involved on the odd couple he does oh that's does. so nice because it was really kind of weekend at bernie's while we were there you know so he just he's a very sweet guy you worked with him you know mega talented guy but just came to the odd couple when he was not fully ready to work and focus or unable to so it was a real shame because it's the odd couple and gary marshall is sitting in on your writings room writing room i mean it was like a dream and you have tom lennon who's shows up to work every day and leslie lindsey sloan and yvette nicole all these people wendell pierce who are just show up and hit it out of the park and then you've got matthew who's doing his best but just couldn't couldn't yeah. get yeah he uh the book is rough um i will say it is it's a tough read or or listen it's, it's, it's just terribly sad it's terribly it's terribly, painful terribly sad a big he really does yeah it is it's brutally sad um and you know i mean it's it's extremely 
honest and you know i was curious whatever you know on friends and sort of you knew a lot of what was going on but there, you never quite knew so i was just curious to hear his yeah. real honest accounting and i'm and glad just, he did it i'm glad yeah. he did it because he wasn't always so honest so i'm glad that he is i mean this is the way forward so yeah. it was really funny on the last day i think it was at our wrap i was leaving and i leaned over to matthew i was like okay bye maddie it was good working with you and he took a long pause and he went was it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah that sounds like it was a rough one anyway there is now an official on the record apology to uh oh that's exciting everyone involved um i'll just take cash if he wants to just you know just for everyone can be resolved with a cool million in a briefcase Everyone just working so hard and someone making it kind of impossible to actually make a good show is is a bummer. Um, there's so many of these shows. I'm looking at this list. It's it's crazy. What's the secret? Like, what? Tell me, you know, you're always working. And yeah. like, what's the <laughs> what's the secret to being a good writer on staff in your mind? Well, for me, here's what I realized. Having been in so many rooms, I say to myself, how would I run my room and what would I want? I think being positive is really important. It's super fun to be negative. Like when you get notes on it, you know, and you go, they're so stupid and they don't know and we're smarter than they are. But you got to stop that quick and just push forward. Get people home, keep your staff happy so they enjoy coming to work. Make your room incredibly safe. So any stupid, shitty thing you say is fine you know, as long as it's not going on for an hour, but to let comedy come out in a, and just fly. Because I've been in rooms where, like even in the community room, Dan was kind of so brilliant that I, for one, would clam up sometimes and go, unless it's a brilliant thing, don't say it, don't say anything, don't, because it wasn't a feeling of safety. There was a lot of kind of you wanted to rise to the level and it's like you're withholding father you're working for your withholding father <laughs> and you want him to love you um so i try in rooms to to be positive be funny not to talk when i don't have something to say um and to you know you're spending a lot of time with people be fun and pleasant and you know know what you're doing and write a good draft and do what you do if you were hanging out with any group of people for you know as long as we do in a writer's room and don't be an asshole because that's no fun yeah and i have to imagine that your story sense is just really well honed after all these years of doing it because i feel like breaking story is one of those things where you get better at it by breaking you definitely get better at it of stories. yet it doesn't get more fun it's still <laughs> yeah. this kind of arduous you know wading through molasses but um yeah and it, and it's really important i mean it, it, you have to be able to do both i i know that there are joke writers and i have friends who are brilliant joke writers but in the end if you're on a staff you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything you have to be able to turn in a draft that's not going to make more work for everybody you have to be able to pitch jokes and you have to have a little bit of story sense. And if I have a little bit of all of those things, so um, jack of all traits, master of none. Um, well, that seems like to me, when I hear people say, and I hear it a lot, like that they're asked in meetings, like, are you a story person or a joke person? I'm so appalled by the question and that anyone would be expected to answer it. And that that is how people th- Think oh, that's to, to nothing. My mind, it, it's just like when I first moved here, people. Um, I remember I'd meet with agents, and they'd say, "Well, are you an actor or a writer? Which are you pursuing?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to pursue both. I can do both." They're like, "No, no, that's not how it works. You pick <laughs> one thing you're good at, and you do it." And I was like, "Well, tell that to Jerry Seinfeld. Tell that to any of the people who are writers and actors and parents and painters." <laughs> Yeah, it's in, it's insane. I mean, there are people whose specialty is jokes for sure, and there are people who are not so funny at all who are good story people. My preference would be that you can contribute to all of them or most of them. That would be my preference. But you know, if you get a great joke writer, that's great too. So yeah, and 
how you know over the you know it feels like you've worked with like so many people in town at this point right with this resume you've has it has it been that some of the shows in the you know the last number of years are like people that you know who get a show and are like Emily come work with me or there's still a lot of times where you're going in and having to sing for your supper like get the job it's both I mean you know it's so hard to get a show on the air even with all the channels and everything I'll get calls from people um who are friends and then I'm I'm one of these people I'll go you want me to go take a general meeting with someone I'll do it especially now that there's zoom like and I don't have to put my pants on I can just sit and um I still go out and meet people because what happens is and you know this I don't know how long you weren't friends for when you're on a successful show you're like hooray I'm on a hit show you're on it for so long that you stop making connections outside of the people on the show I mean with a show like friends I'm sure everybody knows who you are but with most shows you come off and you really need a network of people who do know you. So it's important to keep up with the up and coming showrunners and executives and all that kind of stuff. So I try and keep my toe in that as best I can. But I'll be dead. Yeah, how long? So like, this won't be an issue. No, come on, Emily. Um, <laughs> I remember. How how long were you on Fresh Off the Boat? I was only on Fresh Off the Boat for the last season. They brought the me in season. to okay. replace someone. Um, and it was really fun going on to a show in the last season because everybody's sort of like, it's like kids getting ready to graduate high school and senior year. They're like, woohoo. So there, it wasn't, it was also a tightly run ship. They knew what they were doing. Um, and I went into that. I, I actually had a, planned a trip. Um, and I came in and said, I don't think I can take this job because I'm supposed to go with my family to Europe for two weeks and we haven't had a family vacation. And, it, you know, I'm going to see blah, blah, blah. And they said, you can take the two weeks. And I was like, what? <laughs> so they let me in the middle of working there take two weeks to go on a trip. So I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Because usually yeah, it's like, can I go to a dentist appointment? But this was like, <laughs> I'm going away for two weeks. And they were very yeah. kind. Of yeah, last season, they probably a little bit more chill than they, yeah. than they would have been. Um, and and how about just you know, in terms of developing pilots versus being on staff, is it? I mean, what, what's your mindset around that? Is it always like the real goal is to to get your own show, or is it like you're psyched to just be working what, and being on a whatever staff? the other whatever the thing is I'm not <laughs> doing is the one I want to be doing. Um, I would love to have my own show. I'm writing a pilot that I'm actually supposed to finish by Friday. You know, it's just hard because you give birth to the baby and someone says it's a nice baby. What other baby do you have? And I it's heartbreaking and you get tired of the heartbreak. I also love being in a room with people, which really came into focus during COVID. I missed, I mean, being in a room when it's great is the greatest thing ever because it's just being around funny people and who wouldn't want to do that. And I miss that camaraderie and joking around and all of that it, it's such a fun thing to do and I'm not really the kind of writer who's like I'm gonna write a novel and go to my cabin in the woods for six months by myself I I just that's not me so I miss being on a staff but I would like to have my own show and my own staff um basically I will do whatever will feed my children at this point so <laughs> Yeah, I'm a gun I mean, for hire, however you want to do it. I know the business like we've seen this business change so much in just the past started. couple of years. It's like really, really changing and all these studios and things are merging and staffs are getting tiny. And now there are things called mini rooms where we're going to hire you for five weeks, just four of you to do everything, do a <laughs> massive amount of work for a little money and then set you free and you know it it's slim pickings and it's a slog and it would be nice to be um assured of your next job but that is not the nature of the beast unfortunately yeah. no it never you know only for the very 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 luckiest or whatever most successful few but it's it's just not the reality you're always it's no. always like what's the next thing well do you know matt selman i mean uh, I don't know Matt. No, Matt is this, the Simpsons writer who's been on the. How long has the Simpsons been on? 
I think it 30 years. Of, 30, I don't yeah. know what it is. He's been on the whole time. The whole, oh, he has. Okay. Cause the I had whole Rob, time. Rob That's Long his one on the job. Show. Yeah. Rob Long has <laughs> been there like surreal. 20 something years, but not, not the, it's not a the surreal time. situation though, to just it's job security in the strangest job ever. Um, but I think he has, and yeah. I, I'm not sure about this, but I think he has his own little office on the Fox lot, like a little building that's just his little building because he's been there longer than anybody. And yeah, so. that sort of sounds like hell to me to be to just be writing same. the same show for 30 years. Just, I mean, maybe I guess if there's any show that it would be. Yes, still, it would that be would fun. be a good one be... if you had to. It would be that show. So were you in a Zoom room at all during COVID or were you? Not, not at all. Yeah. I was very haughty at the beginning of it. And I said, <laughs> I don't like because comedy in a Zoom room is a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the buffering and someone says a joke, but did you interrupt and you're focused on screen? It just seemed like a nightmare. So I said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do my own stuff for a while. And then sort of everything shut down and the whole business shut down. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have done that. Uh, but I did not. Did you? No, not really. No, I mean, I was developing something with a couple people, and even that room of three people uh, on Zoom was just really did not work for me. And so it was just like, no, not I, with comedy. Um, I feel like no, maybe with drama it could work, but comedy is moves so quickly, and it's so much about a feeling between two people and going back and forth. I just it looked looked hard. It looks yeah. rough. It's amazing to me that there have been that, you know, that there were comedies that were made that way that have turned out, to, you know, pretty well. It's just astounding because it just felt pretty antithetical. To, my my to... husband did a play on Zoom. My husband's an actor. He's also a writer, but he's an actor. And he, they wanted to put up this production to show to buyers or something. So he did a play on Zoom and you know, he would hand a prop to someone and the other person in their prop would take a prop. It was just absolute insanity. It's a different animal. It's just a different thing. So, yeah. And it's not going anywhere, it doesn't look like. Yeah. I I know, I know. We're still, I mean, we're still doing these reads on Zoom, although we're sort of starting to talk about maybe we'll do a live show again, you know, because these used to all be done as live table reads. How great. And, and, you know, and, and obviously I do miss that because it's something great. Any of us who yeah. certainly have ever worked on a multicam or there's just nothing better, you know, that, that live no. feedback from, from the audience, but it's it feels sort of scary to go back to, to doing, to doing it live. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've come to sort of enjoy these Zoom reads um just also it's like we can get actors from all over the place and yes that's you know, nice you can have someone that's who's nice. like in england and it's, it's nice people are more available but obviously you you miss that sense of yeah whatever the energy of that live we're putting is. on a show you don't quite so, get that yeah. on zoom it's a no, different no. feeling okay so you've got a pilot that you're working on now do you want to talk about it at all sure if you want to hear about it sure um, let's hear it's a pilot about a couple, um, not my husband, not me, um, who opened their marriage, a suburban couple who opened their marriage and all the things that happened because of that. So it's based on wow. friends of mine who are actually doing it. And then the discussions with my husband about what would this look like if, it, how could this even work? And it just was very, very funny to me. So that is what it's about. And it's a single cam Hopefully, maybe we'll be sold to a streamer or we'll be a spec or sounds like page. Sounds like you want it to uh, be on a streamer. Yes, I, I, do. I Yeah, I don't think I the do. network version of that show is going to be good. No, probably not. Probably <laughs> not. They just get seem to get more and more themselves, more yes. scared, more risk More themselves. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that sounds really fun. And um, I we'll hope see. we don't end up reading that. On this I, podcast. Hope, I really hope we don't. <laughs> Although I will say thank you because hearing your stuff read, you know, you just have no idea until it's read whether it works, whether the timing of the band, nothing. And so it was so nice to hear it and hear where something worked and where something didn't. And it's just lovely to hear it aloud. So that was a treat. That's what it, we're all about. Like, I mean, I get that completely. And I just, 
I mean, that's why we do this. I love letting like writers who worked hard on great work just at least get to hear it read just by good actors. You yes. know? And sometimes it just feels like, I mean, I've done a few of mine on, on this and it's like, that's all I needed. You know, obviously it's a bummer to get to make this show. Yes. It's just like, I just, I, I kind of feel a sense of closure now. Like, Did you ever hear anything read where you're like, Oh, I get why they didn't make this. This doesn't work at all. <laughs> oh, well, sure, sure. And and certainly in every, um, you know, the ones, I'll just speak to the ones that are mine. Like when you hear it, there's always parts of it where you're like, oh, well, I certainly would have cut that after the table yeah. read. Like, and this, I wrote past the the joke or I yes. made this, ob like in retrospect, completely obvious yes. mistake. But Well, maybe you, that's never happened to me ever. So really, you write flawless you. material huh? every time, every that's time. So, that's so cool. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. You're the one writer. <laughs> I am. It's just me. <laughs> that has you, experienced no me. regrets, and no <laughs> relentless self-criticism. Um, yeah. Well, I'm really, it was really fun. It was great to reconnect with you. Yes, you as thank, well. Thank you for your help casting this. Um, oh, my pleasure. I people. hope I didn't overstep. I was like, no, had no, 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 no idea what I was doing or who or how or when to. No, it was everyone perfect. Was I mean, terrific. we're like the, we're the comedy writer, like make a wish foundation here. Kind of, you know, it's, it's like, we just want people to be happy. We want to like read their favorite dead pilot with the cast that they wanted and you that's know, great we can make that happen that's what we're all about so it was it was really great so good luck with the new pilot thank you so and much and good luck with all your endeavors thank you thanks for doing this emily hire right, me too. when you have your show same same okay. verbal right. agreement that's what this was <laughs> verbal agreement yeah, all, right, all right bye bye thanks emily thank you Okay, I hope you all gathered your whole family around the fireplace after Thanksgiving dinner to listen to that together. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Hey, if you like this show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. And also, please tell a friend about us. Uh, you can follow us on social media to find out all the latest. If when you're listening to this, Twitter still exists. We're there at Dead Pilots Pod. We're on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. I think we're on Facebook, too. Uh, until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.